Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Reveal and Heal Relationship Lounge. You know, you can heal if you won't reveal. I'm Coach Deb. I want to thank you for tuning in to Reveal and Heal Motivation Monday. Please go ahead and tag your friends, tag everyone that you know that need to hear a motivation word. I have an amazing guest this morning. Y'all, I have the one and only Gregory Todd, and I'm telling you, he's going to inspire, motivate, and encourage you this morning. You do not want to miss it. You still got time. You still got time to go and tag your friends and tag everyone that you know that need to hear a life-changing, altered word from the Lord. This is a testimony. This is real life. This is a word that he's going to share. You know, our topic this morning is I never would have made it. And I noticed that many of you out there can relate to that. Many of you can relate that if it had not been for the Lord on your side, that you wouldn't be here today. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and show your love for the one and only Gregory Todd. Most people know him by minister with an A at the end. Good morning to you, sir. Hey, how you doing, coach? I'm doing amazing. I'm so glad you said yes to this interview. Mm. Oh, I'm so I'm so grateful. I know that you have a lot in you, sir, and it can't all be told this morning, but I want you to start somewhere. But first, what we're going to do is I want you, first of all, to tell us and uh, uh, tell everyone that is listening, who is Gregory Todd? Well, at this moment, I'm a, I'm a granddad. I'm a helpmate. I'm a I'm an encourager, I'm an assistant, I'm a pastor. Um, in this house over here where I'm at, I'm whatever you need, you know, over here at this house, my wife, um, at this very moment, she, we're in the midst of getting her back on her feet. So I'm her arms and legs. Um, my grandkids have different fathers, but they all call me daddy on any given day. That's how they know me. I don't know where their parents are, but I do know that I've been the best parent I could be for them. So I'm just the whole ball of wax over here. You know what I'm saying? I'm a man wow. of trials and tribulations. I've suffered some things because of some stuff that life has thrown at me. And then uh, merely because of some decisions that I've made. But at the end of the day, I'm here and I'm glad I am. Amen. And you know what? I'm, 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 I'm anxious. I'm anxious about getting into the story of, of, uh, of your testimony because I want you to just let God use you this morning. Just let him use you and start wherever you will. Because see, this is Reveal and Heal. And Reveal and Heal is a safe space. It's a platform where you can share, you know, the things that you have overcome by the hand of God. Because there are many people that don't believe in God. It's right. sad to say that there are many people that do not believe in God. But see, people like us, we can attest to God being real because we don't take no credit for our deliverance. We don't take no credit for our healing. We don't no. take no credit whatsoever being able to speak, being able to talk to one another in our right mind. Amen. We know God is real. Am Amen. I right about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, I want you to, uh, at this time, I'm just going to fall back. Yes, and I want you to start wherever you choose to start. Okay. Revealing and healing. Amen. So I was, I was sitting here and I was trying to figure out where to start the story at because I can take it from any place. But God told me, he told me where to take it from. 
He said, Greg, I want you to take it from the point where you met Rachel. And that's the one I call Sugar Bell. So <clears throat> I was over here on Moreland Avenue in Atlanta. And I just came off of a, a all night crack spree. I had been up smoking dope all night long. And I'm walking the streets and I come over to Moreland Avenue and, um, and Boulder Crest and uh, somebody pulled into a gas station. It was a, a black woman pulled into a gas station in a, in a, in a dark blue Chevy, I never forget it. And I walked over to the car and I saw the woman that was in there and, and she was in stress, she had a flat tire. And I said, ma'am, can I help you? She said, no, I'm good. And I said, uh, I see you, you sure, can I help you? She said, no, I'm fine, don't worry about that. Cause it was, she ain't had no AC in the car and she was sweating or whatever. So I took the last little, now this is a junkie talking to you. I took the last little bit of money in my pocket and I walked in the store and I bought her a Coca-Cola and I brought it back out to the car and I gave it to her. And she said, you know, that is so nice of you. I said, that's all right. You know, I just love helping people, which I did. I was a crack addict, but I did love helping people. But it was just something about this particular woman. And so God set it up. She had a flat tire. I didn't have a spare tire. Then it just so happens that a gentleman pulled into the parking lot that had a mobile tire repair on, on his truck. And so he said, yeah, man, y'all need some help. I said, well, she does because she wouldn't tell me that. So the man said, look, listen, I help you out. We got the tire off of her truck and uh, changed it over, took it and got the tire pumped up and then put the tire on this woman's car. And then <clears throat> she said, you know, you, you, you spent your last little bit of money on, on me. And I lied to her when she asked me, she said, what can I do for you? I said, well, it is my birthday. She said, it's your birthday. I, I said, yeah, and, and it wasn't, but I felt like it was my birthday when I met her. So I told her that she said, oh, what can I do for you? I said, well, I like movies. She said, come on, I like to watch movies too. So got in her car and we drove around and got some food and stuff and went to her mom's place and we were there watching movies. And we spent that day watching movies together, you know, just two people that just happened to meet of what we thought was just a, you know, a coincidence, but there are no coincidence in God. So let me go ahead and move forward. So we begin to move forward with one another. She didn't know that I was a drug addict, but she did fall and find out later on and uh, still kept dealing with one another. Um, we ended up moving together and the situation just began to progress. The, the drugs and the alcohol began to get even worse. I, um, I was already bad off before I met her. But something inside me wanted me to do better. I wanted to do better for her because I, I like she fell in love with me. And um, one day she gave me an ultimatum. We were living on Ashby Street in Simpson, you know, holes in the floor, rats coming all in the place and stuff. She said, Greg, I'm tired of living this life. I'm ready to move on. And she said, now, if you come in with me, you certainly gonna have to leave the drugs and the alcohol alone because I'm not taking this with me. And I thought about it for a second. Now, this is the mind of a drug addict. I'm, I'm moving things around in my head. I said, dang, I'm, I'm a junkie. I know I got this problem. But if she leave me, I may never see her again. So I made the only what seemed to be logical decision. I said, OK, I'll leave it alone. So about a month later, a couple of months later, we moved from Ashby Street to Douglasville, Georgia, into a, on Mack Street. i never forget it. Our first apartment together. And she told me, she said, Greg, you know, you're gonna have to get yourself together because we got bills to pay and I'm gonna I'm a need to know that you can go out here and handle yourself. And all this was a yes, it was a go because I'm, we out here now and I'm saying, well, no matter what kind of problems I got, I'm gonna have to handle this. And I meant that. So about a week later, after we moved there, uh, there was a close friend of mine that lived down in uh, Atlanta named Mr. Hubert Pearson. We still very close friends as of this day, coach. So 
he called me. He said, Greg, I got a um, I got an AC job I need to do. Can you come down here and help me? And I told Rachel, she was like, okay. So she drove me down. It was actually in East Point. So we went into the housing authority and I did the job. And um, she left me down there. I did the job. But when I got the money, I left. I was gone for about a week. And I told her I wouldn't do that again. I was gone for about a week. So I blew all the money. And then that Friday came. I still hadn't talked to her because I was still in Atlanta. I was like uh, downtown near Peachtree and Edgewood. Money was gone, had to try to get money. So I started panhandling people. But you know, a lot of those people in that area knew me. They, they knew me. And, and most of them, I would ask for money for whatever. They'd be like, nah, Negro, I don't, we don't, I don't have no money for you. And the dope dealers was like, nigga, you better get out of the trap because we don't have time to be dealing with, you know. But at any rate, so I needed another hustle. So I came up something say, hey man, you know, if you use God's name, uh, people will probably believe you a little bit more. And that's what I started doing, coach. I started using God's name. And believe it or not, I started getting money. I started telling people, man, I swear to God, I just got out of jail and just need to get me some money to get something to eat. I made about $105 an hour. Now, people were telling me, they were giving me money, but on occasion, I'd come across a couple of group of people or somebody as an individual would say, Brother Greg, I'm going to give you this money. But if you lying, that's between you and God. I heard them, something inside my belly and my heart didn't sit right with it. But I just kept doing it. I, I kept doing it. And I, when I tell you something didn't feel right, but I, I kept on. When I got that money, I came off of Edgewood and I hit Boulevard. Broad daylight. It was a Friday afternoon, about 12, maybe 12.30. When I came off Edgewood, I hit Boulevard and I'm walking down the street. And it's like everything in existence just, just got ice cold steel, like the wind just stopped. And I'm walking. I was like, what in the world? Less than a block from the crack house. And um, something said to me, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And I was, I was hearing these prayers. I don't know who they were coming from, but I was hearing these prayers. And the, and the prayers of the person, they were crying. I could hear them clearly. And wasn't nobody out there in front of me praying. I couldn't see nobody. But my ears picked up a prayer, really. And that's when I heard him say, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And I was like, what in the world? And then that's when he told me who he was. He said, for it is I, the Alpha. It is I, the Omega. It is I, the beginning and the ending, the one with the keys to both heaven and hell. It is I, the God of your father. It is I, the God of your father's father. It is I, both the God of Isaac, Abraham, and of Jacob. And for the sins that thou have committed against me this day, you shall suffer for an eternity, eternity, eternity. His voice hit me so hard in the middle of that street. He knocked me face first down on the asphalt in the street. And I could not get up. It just, it, it magnified it. The longer it stayed, the bigger it got, the heavier it became. And I thought his voice was going to crush me into the, into the asphalt. I couldn't move. And after it, what seemed to be forever, I eventually got off the ground and I'm standing in the street saying, Lord God, please, please, Lord. I said, oh my God. He said, you got that right. I said, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. He said, no, my son, it's too late for that. This day, your soul shall be dealt with. And his voice exploded with these words. He said, I call the council, council, council. And I looked above my head and like every cloud above my head, they were like, serious serious cumulus clouds that were spaced out. It wasn't rain clouds, it was just clouds that was up there. 
They were beautiful. They were white and the sun was out. Every cloud merged together as one and it formed a huge white dome over my head. I'm standing there in the street and there were some decorative, decorative things that formed around the back of this dome at an oval angle. Then I saw these burgundy looking chairs around the back wall and, and toward the front. I saw a row of white clouds stretch out across the front and stand up and they solidified and turned into these dark burgundy beautiful podiums. The things you stand behind in a courtroom, it was 12 of them. To my left, I noticed a cloud solidify. It stretched upwards and outwards and it solidified into a white beautiful door with a golden doorknob. And the doorknob turned downwards. It swung inwards and in through the door walked 12 individuals. They each had snow white hair, snow white beards and snow white robes. And they were walking across the sky. They weren't standing on anything, just thin air. But I can see them so clear. And, and every last one of them had a look on their, their face like, you in some serious trouble, son. And they each took their places behind these podiums. At that point, I, I heard a, um, I saw a flash and I heard this loud boom. And I saw a giant white throne form on the right-hand side of the sky. I mean, it was so big. Uh, Coach Deb, it took up the entire right-hand side of the sky. There was a flash in front of it so bright I had to shield my eyes. And afterwards, there was someone sitting on that throne. I saw their feet. They were so big, it was unbelievable. There was a hole through the center, front center of each foot, like in the, in the center, like the middle of the front of the foot. There was a hole through each one of them. As I glanced up from his feet, there was a robe that started as an at his ankles, beautiful white robe. I got up to his waist and around his waist, there was a purple tassel of some kind that hung down on his right side, like down to the, to the floor of this throne. I began to look up even farther and his chest, just his mere size of it was just unbelievable. I saw his hands as they rested on this throne and through the center of each hand, there was a hole shaped like an eye socket. And I got up to the nape of his neck and above that, I could see nothing else because of the light. And I, I raised my hand over my eyes to shield my eyes from the light. And something said, uh, for no mortal man shall lay eyes on the face of the Lord thy God, for the gloriousness thereof shall destroy him. And I couldn't, I couldn't look at his face. But I saw when he raised that right arm up off that throne and he pointed at me. And he said, this day I call for the judgment on the soul of Gregory Lee Todd. And he, he pointed his arm away from me down at the first man that was standing at the first podium and he's, Jesus. He said, judgment. And he pointed at that first man and the gentleman looked over at the Lord and looked down at me and he said, he said Jesus. I pointed at the second man and he said, judgment. And the second individual looked over from the podium at the Lord and he looked down at me and, and pointed and he said, counsel. And the Lord did it with the third one. And, and by the time he got to the third, the 12th one, I'm running down the street. I'm I'm staggering and I'm stumbling and I'm running and I'm screaming. I'm like, Lord God, please no. And I felt this hand come down on top of my head. His, his palm landed on my head and I felt five fingers come down on my head. And he said, for the Lord thy God is omnipresent and there is no place that thou can go where I shall not be. For I am forevermore here with you now, as I am on the other side of the world at the same time. There is no escape from me, me, me. And he stood me up and I was stiff as a board. I could not move. And he uh, kept my face uh, up toward the sky. And as I watched what he was doing, 
when he got done with the council members, I didn't see him leave or anything, but there was a discussion going on with him and some, some individuals. I didn't know what they were saying, but I could see that they were clearly talking. And then there was a, uh, to, the, to the right-hand side of God's throne, no, I'm sorry, to the left of his throne, there was a flash and there was a, uh, a table that had formed, a solid, it looked like a Gothic style, beautiful table. It looked like it had like marble across the top of it. And then on top of that, there was a flash and there was a book of some kind. It looked like it had a, a gold binder and the, uh, the book, it fell down on top of the table on its binder and it opened up to the middle pages. And at the top left-hand side of the page, I saw my name written in gorgeous cursive letters. The Lord reached over to the top of the table and he grabbed this, like this beautiful, like bicentennial looking writing device, like something they may have used in bicentennial times. And he took it and he put it at the beginning of my name and he began to drag it across the page. There was a loud scrubbing, scraping, noise that I heard, like a, a, a dragging noise. And there was smoke, sparks, and fire coming from the tip of the writing device. And my name was burned out of the book. And he put the writing device back in the holder. And, 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 the, and, the, and the, the book slammed shut and it raised into the, into the sky above the table by itself and it turned. And I could see the lettering across the front. It said, Lamb's Book of Life. The book disappeared. I heard a loud rip which I was told was the tearing of the veil, followed by an explosion. Boom, and I fell through the ground, a loud explosion. I fell through the ground and immediately there was nothing. There were no houses, there were no more trees, no more ground, no more sky, no more sun, no more buildings, no more houses, no more cars, no more nothing, just complete darkness and I'm falling. I'm twisting, turning and twirling, head over heels falling into this place. And I was so afraid, I said, Lord God, where am I? And he said, my son, for the place that thy soul has been cast into is referred to as the abyss. He said, this is the bottomless pit of darkness and torment of which you shall remain until the day of damnation. And I'm falling and I'm screaming. I had been in there for a long time, Coach Deb. I was in there for a long time. And I, I was like, I was thinking about a lot of different things. There's too much to go into. But I was looking in the darkness and I kept seeing this flicking light of some kind. And I was like, Lord, God, what is that? And the light just continued to get closer and closer and closer and closer. This came out of the darkness. And by the time it got like 10, 15 feet away from me, I could see that it was a huge rectangular shaped giant plasma screen frame of some kind. It was silver. That's why it was flickering in the light because there was no light down there. Why it would flicker? I don't know. But after it stopped in front of me, it, it, it formed this giant plasma screen frame, almost like a 60 or 70 inch plasma screen frame. And it began to show an image of something that looked like a movie. Uh, that was a black woman lying on a bed on her back. She was sweating, crying and screaming. She had her legs up in stirrups. In the room, there was three people. There was a white male, which was a doctor I was told, and the two women in there, one was black and one was white, they were nurses. And, um, and the woman was screaming, I said, Lord God, uh, who is this? And she screamed really loud and pushed this child out. And I watched them cut the umbilical cord and wipe the blood off the child. I said, Lord God, who is this? He said, my son, see the day of your birth. And they wiped me clean and they took me and they wrapped me in like, uh, they, they squeegeed my nose out and, 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 and checked me. And then they put me in like this, this blanket thing and stuck me in something that looked like an incubator. It had this white light, yellow light over it. And I was lying in there and he began to show me 
as I begin to go from an infant to a toddler, to a preteen, to a young man, to a teenager, to a young man. He began to show me everything I'd ever done, everything I'd ever done, everybody I ever slept with. He showed me the men and women that I had slept with. He showed me the lies that I had told. He showed me how I had robbed my mothers, the stealing, the drugs, and the, the deception, the homosexual, everything. And he said, he told me twice, he said, I saw everything. He told me twice, I saw everything. And then I began to see myself go in this image, go from a young man to an older, older man. My hair went from black to gray. And then I seen a dude laying in a casket just like this with his eyes closed, white shirt, gray tie, gray pants. The casket was gray with silver handles. It was beautiful. I, I said, Lord God, who is this? He said, see the day of thy death. And the top half of the casket slammed shut and my feet were back up on the ground for the first time. I was in such disarray. I was so terrified. I was so scared. I couldn't get my wits about me. I couldn't think straight. I, everything was coming to me, nigga. This is not real. There ain't no way this could be real. This, this is not happening. This just ain't real. But it was. The reality was I, I had stepped over into something from the flesh into the spirit with God, and he was dealing with me. I'm standing in the street screaming. I threw the crack pipe down. I threw the money in the street, $105 in cash and silver. And I just said, Lord, Lord, no, please. I'm done. That's it. I'm done. He said, no, my son, it's too late for that. This day, your soul shall be dealt with. And I felt this, this grip come over me like pure electricity. And he, he grabbed me like from the inside. And I heard another rip and another explosion. Boom. And I fell through the ground a second time. Coach, when I tell you it was so hot, I couldn't believe it. The first thing I felt was the heat. The second thing was the smell. It was the specific smell of burning flesh and sulfur. I knew the scent because I used to burn ants with a magnifying glass. And that smell, if you could magnify it 100,000 times, it would not be the smell that came from that place. It was just, it was just horrible. And I, I immediately I began to hear these screams and these, these yells and people cussing and yelling. And as I was descending, I said, Lord God, where am I? He said, my son, for the place that thy soul has been cast into is referred to as Gehenna. He said, this is the lake of fire, the second death the place of eternal torment and suffering for those that have continued to sin against me. At that moment, uh, like a cold chill just went down my spine and a hopelessness just washed over me. And people, I don't know what they think about going to hell, but what, let me tell you something, is a, there's a specific entrance way. Um, as I was beginning to descend into this place, um, and, I, and I was in there, I didn't know at first how I got in there because it was to happen so quickly. But when I looked down from where I was to the fire, it's like a thousand foot down and everything was in there screaming as it descended. As I began to fall, I saw these gray images around me. They look like ghosts, but they were shaped like people. I said, Lord God, what are these? He said, my son, these are the souls that are descending into this place by the second. For hundreds of thousands of souls descend or are descending into this place every single second. And I, I seen them coming in like raindrops, coach. They were coming in so fast, it was unbelievable. Now I understand when the word of God says that hell enlarges itself every day. That place got souls coming in there, unbelievable. You wouldn't believe it if I tell you they were falling in the hill like raindrops, hundreds of thousands of them. And it came across to me, how in the world could there be any people left on planet Earth if these many people falling in the hill? That's just what went through my mind. So the descent <clears throat> into hell, like I said, is about a thousand foot fall. And I started to fall. 
And every memory I've ever had, everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said came back to me at that time. Everything, every, every lie, every hateful activity, everything of a deceitful, dissension-based nature came back to me, but it was nothing I could do about it. It was too late. I'm falling and God touched my eyes and he turned me on my back and he allowed me to look up through the ground. This is when I saw where I came from. Uh, there were holes in the earth, like maybe 80 to 100 feet away from each other. And there were hundreds of thousands of them and their entranceways in the hill. They look like swirls, but their entranceways to hell. So my spirit was allowed to come back up through the hole into the earth. And I was able to look while I was on earth again. And the sky was still beautiful. The sun was still out. Cars were still driving up and down the street. I could see myself. I saw um, three arms extending from heaven to the ground. The first hand that was coming from heaven to the ground had a hand, one first one arm coming down had a hand on top of my head that was sustaining my soul in the street above. The other two hands that came down were blocking the left and the right hand side of the street. So he had a right hand blocking the left hand side of the street at Boulevard and Decatur Street. And there was another hand blocking the street at Boulevard and Edgewood. He had the street blocked off. Traffic had been stopped. I didn't see one car or truck there were cars that were already on that road that had left, but nothing came up or down that street after they passed me. He stopped them. My spirit descended back into that hole. As I continued to descend down toward the lake of fire, I'm falling. And I heard this voice say to me, he said, my son, no one will know how you died, but it is that your death will be declared as a medical mystery. For it is I and I alone that is the giver of life, just as it is I and I alone that is the giver of death. For it is I and I alone that decides who lives, just as it is I and I alone that decides who dies. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And I continued to fall toward the fire, and he touched my eyes, and he allowed me to see these people in the flames burning. And the fire, Coach Deb, was burning the flesh from their bodies and their bones. And the flesh would return, and the fire of hell would burn the flesh from their bodies and their bones again. And it just did this over and over, and people were wailing. They were crying, they were screaming, they were cussing, but nothing put it out. And God touched my eyes again. And I saw these things moving through the fire at a high rate of speed. And I said, Lord God, what are these? And he touched my eyes somehow and he slowed them down. And uh, they had a dark grayish, greenish color and they looked wet and they were worms. And I said, Lord God, what are these? He said, my son, see the worms that never died. And I asked him again, I said, Lord God, what are these? He said, my son, these are the worms that are continuously tormenting the souls that are in the fire for eternity, for this is the judgment. And I watched these worms going in them souls. Now you gotta remember, it's already billions, hundreds of millions of souls in the fire. And then you got these worms. So they screaming and they already tormented by the fire, but then they got these worms, they're pulling them out of their foreheads. They're pulling handfuls of worms from out of their eye sockets. These people are pulling handfuls of worms from out of their nostrils. They're pulling handfuls of worms from out of their mouths and they're pulling handfuls of worms from out of all of their body parts, throwing them back into the fire. But for every handful of worms that they would pull out of themselves, thousands more would just rush right back into them. And right before I hit the lake of fire beneath me, two words came out of the flames. He said, you knew. And I fell into hell screaming at that very second. And at that very moment, he put my feet back up on the ground. And that stopped me at that very moment. I stood in that street and in my mind, I was thinking, is this reality? What, what, what just happened to me? 
And I was so afraid to move because I thought that if I did that I'd fall back through the ground again. But I think the most extraordinary thing and every bit of it to me is extraordinary. I don't know what anybody else thinks, but this is what happened to a 12 year crack addict that was, you know, sleeping with men and women to get money to get high, committing acts of defilement with them and myself to get money for the drugs and the alcohol. I was breaking in people's houses three or four o'clock in the morning, robbing drug dealers. I had robbed my mother. I was doing everything I could possibly do to get that cocaine. I had a $500 a day dope habit at the end of the day, ice, ecstasy, heroin, acid, powder, crack, cigarettes, alcohol, PCP. Almost over those four times, three separate suicide attempts. But that day I, I stopped. And if I tell you that the Lord scared the hell out of me that day, it is what it is because I hadn't touched a drink and I was smoking two to three packs of cigarettes a day. I could drink anybody under the table. I don't care who you were or what you were drinking. I had so many demons in me. There was no room for any more. But that day they all left. And my life has been changed from this day forward, Coach. <clears throat> I wasn't ready, bro. I wasn't ready for that story. I wasn't either. And it scares me every time I tell it, you know, right, even right now, you know, it just terrifies me. But, you, you know, I'm going to tell you something. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. And it, he doesn't mean for people to be terrified of him. But God is speaking of a reverent fear, a fear, a fear of re respect. Yeah. A, a heavy reverence of respect toward God, a fearful reverence of God. To, 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 to understand the velocity of his power and what he's literally capable of. And no human mind can understand that. There's no way to evolve all of that into our small minds. But the taste of power that he touched me with, it excelled any and everything I could have ever possibly imagined. But at the end of the day, he set me free. So God did what he needed to do to get me from where I was to where I am now. And like the funny thing about the whole situation is he took the desire, but he left the taste. I could, somebody lights up a cigarette, I can probably tell you what kind it is. If I walk past somebody drinking, I could probably tell you what kind of drink it is. I could spot the spirit of homosexuality like a baseball bat on a field. And I asked God about that one day, I said, why? Did you take the bondage, but leave the taste and the perception? He said, because I never want you to forget where I brought you from. And I never have. Wow. Wow. You just answered uh, so many questions for anyone that have been delivered, you know, from the bondage, but yet it's like the aftermath, you know, it's like you still are mindful of certain things that you just can't shake, you know? Yeah. And it's it's like, I just want you to just always remember who brought you out yeah. Yeah. and yeah. where you came from. Yes, ma'am. Because whom the sun sets free is, is free indeed. There's no way, 
There's no such thing as being half set free. There's no right. such thing. Right. God will right. set you totally free or you won't be at all. Exactly. But there's something connected with that though, because the availability is there. But God already has the conviction on your life. What he wants is the confession. Because uh -huh. he uh -huh. can do anything. But he would not force you to be set free from what you're bound by. That must be an openly professed confession with your mouth that you got a problem that you can do nothing about that you need him to set you free from. It's that confession that will do it. That will put the key into the lock of your deliverance and God will turn it. But you got to be honest. You can't walk around half-heartedly professing or confessing that, you know, I got a problem, but I can handle it. Well, that ain't something God finna put his hand to because it ain't nothing you can do. The Bible declares that I can, without you, I can do nothing. But with you, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So a person that's half-hearted about their bondage can't go nowhere. I had to tell God, I told him, I said, Lord, if you don't save me, I know I'm a dead man. I didn't know how you were going to do it. But I took the whole caseload and I put it in his hands. I said, I'm a junkie. I'm dealing with these men and these women. I can't get out. I'm drinking alcohol. I'm trying to forget. I'm trying to take myself out. I'm trying to kill myself. I'm a dead man. I need to be set free. And this is something a lot of people won't tell you. A lot of addicts won't tell you. Because, Deb, I don't care how much they think they enjoy that. A junkie don't want to be a junkie. That's not something that was planned. And you weren't born thinking that, you understand me? This wasn't genetically transferred. These are demonic spirits. Uh-huh. Ephesians 6 and 10 all day long. And I'll tell you what they are. They are demonic spirits. And that at that moment that that crack pipe hit my lips and I lit that, lit that concoction up, it went from a, from a physical into a smoke form. And it took on a physical, it took on a spiritual form and entered into my temple and possessed me. Do you hear what I'm saying? The moment I hit that pipe, I knew that I would never be the same. I knew it. And ain't nobody finna tell me no different. They can walk around here and protect the, protect the argument all you want. But I'm an ex-addict. I know what it is. I've smoked not only cocaine. I've snorted powder. I've done heroin. I've done ice. I've done ecstasy. I've, why, I know the actions. I know the scratching. I know the joning. I know the need for it. I know the itching. I, I know all about that. I know the paranoia. I know about the footsteps on the roof that you hear after you take the hit because you think someone's coming and they never show up. I know about the things following you, things holding on to your legs. I'm in the middle of the Atlanta library because I, I, I smoked some meth for about an hour straight, crystal meth. And I got rats chasing me through the building. They threw me out of the Atlanta library. Downtown, walking around like a night of the living dead. I've been through it all, running for my life. I took a hit one night and running for my life from nothing behind me, running because something was obviously behind me. I almost ran myself to death. It took about eight or 10 police officers to get me to the ground. Sure did. How, is, is, it that you're, how is it that you're able to, you know, that's, that's something, that, that's something that, <clears throat> that you're able to remember all of those things that you, you know, mentally, that you go through physically, that you go through. Isn't that something that God yes, would, he would, 
that story would remain, you know, to share. I mean, every, every detail. And some people claim they don't remember nothing. Some people claim that they don't remember stuff that they have done, you know, that is just horrific. Do you believe they choose not to, that they're lying? I think somewhere that there is a, um, maybe um, a psychological defense mechanism that separates them from the reality. Cause that's a big, that's a big situation with people that are doing drugs and are in that area. Um, it's, it's like a block of some kind that keeps yeah. them from the reality yeah. of what it is. And maybe they just have been, it's the spirit of denial. That's what but I was thinking case, too. But in my case, you know, I ain't denying nothing. I'm guilty on all charges. And That's how you get true deliverance, though. Because yep. you can't lie to God. He see it all. Yes, man. Right? No, you can't, so you when, can't lie to him. When you come to him, you come to him naked. If you really want to be uh, uh, set free, you have to come to him like you, like you ain't hiding nothing. It's like, I know who you are. Oh, God. I know who you are. Just tell me the truth. I got you. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, ma'am. And I just wanted to clarify. I wasn't necessarily running through the library, but I was standing there and I was under attack by these things that I couldn't see. And I was really going through some changes. They literally had to, you know, tell me to leave out of that place. It was just that bad. But in my situation, I was looking for an escape. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. And not necessarily looking for an escape before they get high. Okay. But you got to understand again the velocity of what happens when somebody takes a hit is it very unpredictable. It's very unpredictable. And the first thing that a person is looking for after they get into that area is a safe place by any means necessary. You know, because when those spirits get released, there's no telling what they do or what the person might do. You know, to each his own, but I thank God he came and got me. So let's just talk about the the starting over. Okay. Start starting over once hallelujah. Once you gave your life to the Lord. Yes, ma'am. What was the begin, the beginning, you know, to the do-over? Okay, so after that happened to me. <clears throat> And I did go back home. I told you that took place on a Friday. Well, I made my way to my wife's mother's house, which, which lived in Decatur on Boulder Crest Road. And um, I got there and I, and, I, and I called Rachel from my mother's house and I told her what happened to me. And she said, Greg, I don't believe a word of what you're saying. And she said, you need to go back to whoever you were with, wherever you've been spending your money with, wherever you've been spending your time with, that's where you need to go. She hung up in my face and I called her back again. And she said, Greg, what do you want? I said, honey, God has set me free. She said, Greg, God going to get you, number one, for lying on him. And all these things you keep saying, she said, you got some incredible stories, but I'm not believing you this time because I've had enough. It's over. And she said, but God going to get you. Hung up the phone. I called her back a third time. He was so frustrated. She said, leave me alone. I need to think. She said, look, if God doesn't set you free, let him tell me. But please don't call me no more. Please. She hung up the phone. Now that Friday went past, that Saturday went past, and Sunday morning she pulled up in her mother's driveway in that 1996 Honda Accord. 
And I ran out the door to the driver's side window and I said, honey, what's going on? She said, Greg, God told me what he did for you. Come on, get in the car, we're going home. So I got in the car and her mother was standing on the front porch. She said, Rachel, how you doing? Rachel said, I'm doing fine. And she said, so y'all going home? She's like, yeah. She said, well, make sure you take him with you. So I was in the car, we rode back to Douglasville. And as we're riding, you know, we didn't say much, but we pulled into the driveway of our uh, con small condominium out in Douglasville. She sat in the car for a minute and I said, what's wrong, Rachel? She said, Greg, we need to talk. I said, what's going on? She said, well, I told you this before. She said, you know, we got bills. We can't stay out here for free. She said, um, she said what, what, what are you gonna do? I said, oh, well, I'm gonna go ahead and do what I need to do. And um, she said, are you gonna be able to help me? I said, I said yeah. No, I just started crying in the car. And she, she hugged me in the car. She said, Greg, it's okay, it's gonna be all right. And we got out of the car and I went in there and we just hugged each other all evening and I told her more about the story. And she probably responded like most of the people do. I, I just, I, it's unbelievable. Is that what happened to you? I told her, yeah. And um, so I got a call from a friend of mine, the same man and stuff that I went to work for when I got the first amount of money. And I went back down to, <clears throat> to Atlanta to finish this um, job at the housing authority. I got out of the car and I went in there. I had a really bad feeling that sat on me for a long time, Coach Deb, a feeling of destruction. Like I was actually gonna go to hell because I, I knew I had upset God. I really hurt his feelings, I hurt him. So when I got out of the car, Hubert said, Greg, what's wrong with you? I said, Hubert, I just don't feel well. He said, well, come on, we can talk about that later. So we got inside the housing authority and we in the roof of this building trying to fix this AC unit. And I'm trying to help Hubert and I'm trying to get over my feelings. I'm trying to get over this heaviness, this doubt. And he said, man, what's wrong with you? And I told Hubert what happened. And I said, I just think God has had enough of me. I think, I think he's gonna had enough. He's just gonna end up destroying me. He said, Greg, let me tell you something. He said, I don't think that's what the problem is. He said, I, I don't think it's the problem that God hasn't forgiven you. I think the problem is that you just haven't forgiven yourself. He said, you need to get on away from me because you can't help me and walk over there in that corner and talk to God yourself. Now, we ain't standing in the ceiling of the housing authority, so you can't just walk on the floor up there because it's, it's ceiling tiles. So you got to walk every eight to 12 inches on these two by fours. And I'm stepping across the ceiling. I got like eight to 10 feet from Hubert. And I dropped my head, Coach Deb, and I said, God, I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry what I did to you. I'm sorry for how I treated you. I'm sorry for how I lied on your name. I'm sorry how I defiled you. I said, I'm so sorry. I said, Lord, I said, would you forgive me? Yes. And I felt these arms come down. I couldn't see them, but I felt these arms come down my side and he grabbed me around my waist. He was standing behind me and I heard him speaking to my, my, my right ear and he said, my left ear, and he said, my son, would you die for me? And I said, yes. He said, then the sins that thou have committed against me have been forgiven. And there is a place for you in the kingdom of heaven. And I just broke down crying. Oh, Jesus. Every part of me just melted in his hands. I couldn't see him, but I was still not feeling him. And I, I couldn't hold myself up. And, and then at this point, he would turn around. He said, now what's wrong? What's the problem? 
I said, he, he forgave me. He forgave me. I said, he say, I got a place in heaven. He forgave me. He forgave me. He was said, I forgive you too. But if you mess around and fall off that two by four and come up through them ceiling <laughs> tiles and get that ground down there, I ain't gonna know what to tell you. <laughs> oh my God. And so after that, I got home <clears throat> and God just began to transition me. You know, I went from secular music. I had a number one hit here in Atlanta called How We Do It on the Air. Had the airwaves locked down in the 90s. I was doing music about women, drugs, and cocaine, and clubs, and sex. And I even put the music down because of my, my fear of God and, and just wanting to be in his, in, in, lined up with his will. And I wouldn't touch it. And a, a while after that, a couple of months after that, uh, my wife said, uh, a friend of mine that was a secular artist, he said, man, well, if you ain't gonna rap for the world, why don't you rap for the Lord? I said, um, I said I'm gonna ask him about that. He said, you might as well. He said, why don't you ask him that? So I went home and um, I talked to my wife. She, she came up with the name, the minister. I asked the Lord about being an artist for him. And I said, Lord, but if I'm gonna do it, I said, I want the lyrics to be razor sharp. I want the delivery to come out so clear that anyone can hear it. I said, if, I, if I'm gonna do this for you, I wanna make sure that you bless me to go after this thing like a pit bull after a steak. And um, that evening I was in the room praying and, uh, and an angel came in the room. He was dressed in shining silver armor. I'll never forget it had this giant giant flaming sword in his hand. And I was told to get on my knee and, I, and, and he anointed me on my shoulders. He said, I anoint thee the minister. And the sword hit my shoulder and fire went everywhere. And then he raised it and touched my other shoulder. He said, I anoint thee the minister. And fire went everywhere when it hit my shoulders and, and the angel disappeared. And, and that's what I've been called and that's what I've been going under ever since. It's no longer foreplay, it's no longer 40 ounce. It's just that he calls me the minister. And so with that being said, my lyrics went from the world to the kingdom. And now I'm like, God gave me a whole new life with a beautiful wife and so you know we're brother good to go and I'm gonna keep it in the road but the only way you're able to do it is cause the roller with the Holy Ghost. So I'm coming up on the top rope with the elbow, cold take a demon on into the ground and I've been praising my Christ each and every single day of my life cause I've been lost and now I've been found. My God, that's a good close. Oh my God, that's a good close. Thank you. I need for you to uh, share with everybody at this time what, how they can reach you, you know, social media and all that great stuff. Okay. So you can reach me on Instagram at, at Todd, T-O-D-D -D, space minister, M-I-N-I-S-T-A. You can also reach me on that same platform at, at minister Todd, at M-I-N-I-S-T-A space T-O-D-D. -D. Uh, you can catch me on <clears throat> Facebook as the minister, T-H-E-M-I-N-I-S-T-A. And um, you can hit us at the office here at One Shot. And that's 678-768-7357. And um, I do a little bit of Christian comedy. I do a little bit of uh, hosting. I love to, you know, I've done performances up to an hour long. Um, but my main goal is to use the music just as a tool to get people's attention. Amen. And once I have your attention, then I can sow the seed of the testimony. And I know that it's not really about the music, but God uses it to, to you know, as a, as a piece of artillery in this world, because people love music. Amen. 
where Amen. I come from, that was really big. And so it's only a two. I hope you like the music, but I'm, I'm hoping you get the message. And Amen. For me. And so, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And you can also reach me through Coach Deb. If you can reach her, you can reach me. That's right. That's right. Listen, Minister, I want to thank you, sir, for yes, saying yes to this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, the Motivation Monday quote is, without Christ, I would have never made it this far. I'm not turning back. Not now, not ever. Thank you, Jesus. For this life, you've changed. I'm Coach Deb. Remember to love yourself, love everybody, and be an example. Have an amazing day. You deserve it. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, Coach Deb.